Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you as we start off our new year together. Um, hey, I wanted to do something new and kind of make it our tradition uh, when we start off our new year. I know that we do this at our thankful service um, where you kind of send the mic around if anybody wants to like to share just to give thanks to God for anything, small or big, um, that you say, I just want to thank him for this, of what I've seen this past year of 2020 or 2020. Well, I'm, st- I'm sorry, I'm still in 2020. So 2022, um, if you'd like to do that, no, feel no pressure, um, but we're going to have two mics. And so, Joe, could you take this one? Would you mind running around and making sure? And then we have one more mic in the back. If I can get one more volunteer to just kind of be winning the room, Cheryl, take that. If you want to, um, this is your opportunity. If you do not, it's still your opportunity. You'll just be silent. You can just, just say it quietly to the Lord if you want to. But we, I, was, I just want to celebrate with you. Um, we want to celebrate with you as well just to say, hey, thanks, God, for this past year. Um, even if we saw some struggles, we saw your faithfulness through it, and to just give him praise collectively as a community. Is anybody, just raise your hand. You don't have to come up. They'll run to you um, just for an opportunity to just share real quick. Anybody? Yep, Carol. <clears throat> Pastor has said that um, he wanted... 2022 to be a year of prayer for our church, to start um, making it more available, more real, more accessible to pray with one another. And so he gave us a room over, it's called the family room, and every morning, every Sunday morning at 9.15, it's set up. Somebody comes and sets it up. (laughs) We're so grateful. Turns on the heater. But um, I was thinking about that as I was thankful to the Lord for this, because prayer is my passion. Um, 52 weeks, we actually started last November, but 52 plus weeks praying a half hour each of those 52 weeks with whoever came. And I thank you for those that have come regularly. Um, That's 26 hours solid, 26 hours solid. If you put all those half hours together, 26 hours solid, there were people praying for you, for our world, for our neighbors, for our pastor, for everybody. I hope you feel blessed. We want to do so much more. And so, Pastor, thank you for the prayer room, for prayer, and thank you, Lord, 26 hours and to the moon and back from here on out. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. Absolutely. Who else? Hi. (laughs) Okay, so I'm just thankful to be here in Ignite City and to have been, this is probably my second year with you guys, and I feel so blessed to be a part of this community and having Pastor Brian as my pastor. And here's to the next 100 years plus. Uh, I love you all. There you go. I'll take that as a word of prophecy. That's nice. Thank you. <laughs> Who else? Oh, way in the back, Ryan. This side's winning, no pressure. I'm just show- totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. I shouldn't have said that. The competition comes out of me. I'm so sorry. Ryan, go for it. 
Hi, I'm Ryan. I just want to say I'm thankful. Uh, back in February, I came to Pastor Brian in a time of need, and he invited me to join a men's discipleship group. And uh, it's been an awesome experience. If anybody is interested in joining a men's disciple group, I know we're talking about um, starting a new one this year. Um, but it was a wonderful experience. I was also baptized this year, um, which was an amazing experience as well. I came to know Jesus. And I'm just thankful for the relationships and uh, very thankful for this church and what it's done for my family. Thank Praise you. God. Praise God. I didn't tell him to say that about discipleship groups, just so you know. But I'm really glad he did. So um, this week, as I was getting ready to help lead worship and I'm just looking over the songs and that song, Goodness of God, is like a capture of my life. And um, as I was reflecting about how God has always been present in my life, I've always known he was true. I was always knew that um, what he said was right. And yet in the hard times, I find that I thought of the Baruths who um, growing up, I knew them. I didn't really know who they were, but they were pillars in the church. And I could look to them and say, if their faith is real, my faith is real. It can't be a joke. And so as I think about our church and I think about our Ignite City kids, God just puts a passion in my life for them. And I think, you know, now I get to stand in that gap for our kids. We get to stand in that gap for our kids. And so as they're trying to figure out what faith looks like, um, we are living that out before them. And um, they can look at us in those times of doubt and say, if they believe it, then I can believe it too. That's good. So. That's awesome. Thank you, Cheryl. <clears throat> Anyone else? What's that? Oh, way in the back. Good luck, Joe. Oh, he'll come to you. It's okay. He can take the steps. He's good. Yeah. Hi, Neat. Hi, Neat, Joe. Thank you, man. Morning, everybody. My name is Hope. I'm Isaiah's mom over there. <laughs> you know me. I just want to thank God. Um, last year was really trying for me. Um, God has always blessed me um, in my jobs, and I've always leaned on him. God, what is my ne next path? What would you like me to do? Um, if this is a door that is open for me, um, then please let it be wide open. Let me be able to see my path. Um, because I want him to always direct it, and, and it always is good every time. So uh, I received a promotion last year in February, but it was the hardest trial to go through. I had a lot of tension from other employees, and um, it was just extremely hard, and I felt like I got so close to God um, during my trial. And I just want to encourage you, if you are going through... Um, what, what should I do, God? What should, what's my path? Um, just lean on him. Let him just open the doors and close the doors um, that you're not supposed to go through. And um, I'm just really excited that he brought me through it. And now I'm just loving it. I'm loving my new position that he gave me. Um, and I'm believing that he's going to help me to just love on others and impact others um, throughout my, my journey in this job that I'm in. So I just praise him for that. Wonderful. <clears throat> Anyone else? 
Okay. Well, thank you all for sharing. Um, we're going to start up a new... Where, oh, did you want one? Oh, sorry. Turn it back on. I'm done. I'll just go back to your words. Sorry, Joe. Um, yeah, I'm thankful for God for all that he's done. All those stories right now, and um, I could contest uh, the, this last year was tough for us, but um, having God in our life uh, gives us that peace and that joy every day. Um, even when there's chaos, it doesn't matter. And um, feeling his presence is very special. It makes me want more. I'm excited for this year for the new uh, reading plan, um, the disciple group, the home church that's going to be starting up here shortly. Um, I'm excited for it. I'm excited every Sunday to come to church, hear you speak. So, and everybody that I've met here, very, very special. They have special stories. We have to talk to one another. Just open up that conversation and you'll learn a lot. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things that um, I cherish the most. Um, but I love this church, all the faces, everybody. When we get to meet, it's it's a lot of fun. So I'm thankful for God for all of that. So Thanks, Joe. thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Perfect. Thank you. All right. If we grab your Bibles or your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we are going to start a new series. Uh, we're going to start the book of Titus. Um, and the theme or for the, the title for the series is called Keep the Faith. Um, and so I'll, it's only three chapters. <laughs> so I don't know how long we'll be in it. But as I read through it, as I was praying through it, I thought, okay, I just finished Ruth. It was Monday. I said, God, I just finished Ruth. And I should have been thinking, like, what's next? <laughs> like, what, where do you want to go? And I didn't have it until maybe Tuesday. I just kept praying through, God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And I just... I don't know, Titus came to my mind. It was part of our reading plan not too long ago. And I thought, you know what? I don't know that I've ever even heard a, a, a series or a pastor preach on the book of Titus. And I, I just, I thought, okay, this is the direction we're going to go. And I think it is so applicable um, with where we are as a culture, where our world is. And the title of it is Keep the Faith. Because followers of Jesus, there comes a point where we have to decide what is it or who is it that speaks into truth in us? The culture says one thing, and then some of what the culture holds to may sound a little bit like it starts to blend a little bit, right? And maybe they've got some good things and nice things to say. I mean, if everyone, I think in a culture, no matter whether or, not, whether or not they love Jesus or not, most would say, we just need to love each other. All you need is love, right? It's been, there's been a song out forever. All you need is love, but here's the problem. If you don't define love correctly, then everyone just kind of makes it up for themselves and then everything becomes okay. And yet when you look at God and he defines love and within the definition of love is truth, that if I say I'm gonna to hold to love, like I wanna love people, it says love does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in truth and therefore there must be this, there must be this opinion that God has of what is true and what isn't. I cannot love people if I am not holding to truth. But even more importantly than that, I cannot claim to be a follower and lover of Jesus if I'm not holding to truth and obeying what it is that he says. We can't just keep glossing over things or just kind of, you know, blending some, hey, the world holds to this when it comes to topics, say, as, like if it gets to the sexuality or if it gets to gender, it's like, I can just do this and blend it a little bit with grace and love. And God's sitting going, wait, wait, wait. But if people are buying into a lie for me to just push forward and go, no, I'm just going to love you, but I'm not going to bring you out of the lie into truth, 
than I'm actually loving someone. And so when we look into the pages of Titus, the reason why I love this book, it's Paul just writing to one guy, one young pastor. And he's hanging out and he's placed in this city called Crete. And I guess I was thinking, okay, so what does this look like? Because he's not in prison when he writes this. This isn't, a, this isn't one of his prison epistles. So what if he's just out like the fir- one of the first coffee houses, one of the first coffee shops, and he's just sitting there going, hey, Crete just came to my mind. I'm going to write him a letter. And so he starts off this letter and he's just going through, okay, what should I say to him to encourage this young pastor? Because Paul's the one who put him there. He's like, I want you to go to Crete and I want you to organize some things. I want you to take care of some things. And I need you to confront some people. Guys, think about it. He's like, is that the kind of ministry that you want? I want you to go to a whole church and I want you to tell them where they're missing the mark. That's not the most fun ministry. And yet it's necessary if he's gonna be a shepherd, if he's gonna care for God's people. And it's necessary for us as followers of Jesus to do the same. And so I, I just really believe that God's wanting us to just kind of land in here for a while, however long it takes, three chapters, which if you've been part of our church for a while, you would think, oh, that'd be like three weeks. Not really. So <laughs> we're gonna go as long as it takes and then we'll move into something after that. Don't know what it is yet, but let's pray as we continue with, the, with the, the, our time in the book of Titus. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you gave us your word with all the messages that come to us All day, hundreds, if not thousands, constantly, messages coming to us. Father, I thank you give us your word that we could decipher truth. That we could hold to what's foundational and what's right instead of just being blown by every deceptive thought or idea in order that we could truly love you and to love people. And so, God, I pray that you would take us through this book, through this letter, this short letter, and that you would encourage us and convict us whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. Father, I pray you keep my agenda, my agenda, my opinions to myself, and may we only hear your truth, and that we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. So picture him sitting there. He's got his coffee, and he's writing out this letter to his, this young little, his young little person that he's known for Jesus. Like, he's the one who probably led led Titus to Christ, so he calls him my child in the faith. He's a grown man, but he's like, I guess in Paul's mind, maybe he's sitting there going, he's never gonna be too old for me to call him my child. The impact that he's had, and then to send him off, and Titus is a person who'd walked with Paul in so many different ministries, in so many places, and Paul had this trust in him, but Crete, guys, he described Crete in verse 12, when he says, one of the Cretans, and He says this, he quotes him, he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Dang. I mean, that's one of them. I think his name is Epimenides. He says, you want to know what the Cretans are like? They are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And you'd sit there, maybe you'd sit there and go, Paul would go, okay, you're not that bad. Like maybe, I mean, that's the reputation, but you're not that bad. But listen, but right after that, beginning of verse 13, this testimony is true. Dang. And this is what you're called to. Paul, I want you to go in and I want you to work and love this church and I want you to work with them and continue to move them forward as disciples. And it's gonna be in an area where they thought that Crete was the birthplace of Zeus. 
That was their belief, not, not the church, but maybe some in the church, they kind of took the belief, the Greek mythology over here, kind of blended it together with Christianity. Zeus, you know how Zeus got away with stuff? He seduced and lied. He was known for being seductive and lying so that he could get his way. And then it hit me. Friends, if that's what he's known for, and then that's what the Cretans are known to be like. I mean, that's the description, right? Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I wrote this in my notes. I said, the way of culture follows what a culture worships. A way of culture follows what a culture worships. So whatever a culture worships, that's what we begin to look like. We may say, well, we kind of live in a more of a secular culture now. I've heard some people say we're a post-Christian nation or a post-Christian culture, and yet I would still maybe even challenge that, were we ever completely, truly Christian? Because it's one thing to be culturally Christian. It's another thing, it's another thing to be a true follower of Christ. But, but if this culture, if their target or the, the one that they worship and hold up to be important is Zeus, who seduces people and lies. So if that God that you worship does those things, then of course you can do those things, and that's what the culture is known as. And so if we live more of a secular culture, so what's our God? If most people would sit there and go, well, I believe in spiritual things, I believe in God. But that doesn't mean I worship God. And so in our culture, what is the God that we worship? Is it possible that it's us? Is that, maybe the, is that maybe the God of our culture right now? Us, ourselves. And here's why, and it's not new. It's not like we just came up with a new one. No one else in the world has ever struggled with this. No one's ever done it. Guys, if you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. We're gonna start here in verse 21. Actually, let's go back to verse 18. I don't know if it'll be up on the notes, but I'm gonna go to 18 and we'll go through to verse 25. Paul says this, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you've been brought up in the church long enough, we kind of picture God like in the Old Testament, that's when he's angry. He's just grumpy, right? He's always on, he always wants these sacrifices and he's just kind of mad. And then the New Testament, Jesus shows up and he's the first happy hippie and he's just always happy. And so God's kind of gotten a temper push to the side. Jesus has calmed the father down because the father, he's the one losing his temper. Jesus is the happy one. Holy Spirit's just running around doing his thing. That's kind of how we picture the Trinity. Friends, every member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each of them God, and yet making up one God. It's not like one is more angry than the other or one is more loving than the other or, more than, or one is more patient than the other. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. The, the father loved us so much that he gave his son. And so instead of us sitting there going, okay, so Old Testament's mean, nasty ogre God. No, 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 no. And New Testament is just happy, hippie God. No. Guys, do you see it in this? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Friends, when we do not proclaim this truth, we actually make the gospel less impressive the wrath of God is a reality. And read the book of Revelation. And Jesus comes when he returns. He's going to kick tail. There's really no way around it. But the wrath of God is being revealed against what? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men or humanity who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Like, I know the truth, but I'm going to keep it down. 
Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now listen to this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So here's God. It's like, we get him. And at some point we're like, I'm so bored. I'm bored with him, so I'm just gonna play with his stuff. I'm not just gonna play with his stuff, I'm gonna start to worship his stuff. That's like me saying, hey guys, you have a choice. You can have a brand new Lamborghini or you can have the Hot Wheels version of it. Now if you sit there and go, I just want the Hot Wheels version. Liar. Even if you don't wanna drive it, you can sell it. You're like, I don't need worldly things. Sell it, give all of it to the poor. I don't care what you do. But you sit there and go, I'll just take the $4 Hot Wheel, which sucks because it used to be like 40 cents, but I'll just take that. I'll just take that. Isn't it weird? We'll, we'll, we'll settle for the things that are shiny, the little trinkets. We'll give up God so we can have his stuff. We'll suppress the truth. We'll give up on him so we can keep doing what we want and we'll worship each other. Guys, do you think I'm lying? I'm dying. Guys, I don't know if you've noticed, I am not known for fashion. Like you don't look at and go, yeah, he's in it. Like when, you sh- when I showed up today going, yep, there he is. Jeans and a t-shirt. Guys, that's just the universal. That's the universal thing. Let's just go back to simple. I don't think fashion's wrong, but isn't it amazing? There's people that tell us what's fashionable. We just don't know who they are. Example, fanny packs. How did those come back? And I know it's like this time we wore them different. Like in the 80s, I don't know about you, I'm, and I know the 80s are starting to go, the 90s are coming back, and I thought, thank goodness the 80s went quicker than the 80s, because that was just a weird time. But fanny packs were right here, which is weird. They're fanny packs, but they, you know, I never really saw anyone, never mind. Okay, so now you just wear them across this way, because that's the cool way, but it's still the fanny pack, because everyone needs to carry all their junk at the same time. But some people said, this is what's cool now, this is what's fashionable, and we sit and go, yes. They're just telling us, this is what it is, this is what it is, and it changes. You ever notice that? It's this constant cycle. 20 years, just wait 20 years, it'll come back, it'll come back. And everyone sits and goes, see, this is what's new, this is what's new, this is what's new. And all of us who've had some years going, that's not new. We actually prayed that would never come back. (laughs) And it did. And we just keep listening to all these voices that we don't even know who they are And do you realize that celebrities and pro athletes will be given a ton of money to to wear or to use a certain product so that people will see it and want to buy it? And we keep buying into it and going, yep, that's what I got, that's what I need, that's what I need, and that's what I need to drive, and that's where I need to live, and that's what the house needs to look like, and that's what the inside of my house should look like. And we just keep buying into it, and at some point you kind of go, are we really, really just focusing on God? Or do I now need these things that I would say that I never worship, but do we? He goes on to say, verse 24, he says, therefore, God gave them up 
Guys, that's a terrifying verse. God gave them up. What do I think that this is actually describing? I think it's describing what he mentions in verse 18, the wrath of God. Friends, how often is the wrath of God not thunderbolts from the sky, not hail, like hail pieces the size of boulders? How often, is, how often is it God just handing us over to our lusts? You say, well, lust, I mean, I'm, I'm not lusting after a man or a woman. I'm not, it's not sexual. Guys, the word lust really has nothing to do with, or it's not just that. Guys, when I looked it up, it means this deep desire or longing, this coveting, craving to desire something that's forbidden. I think we're all guilty there, right? You say, well, why would God hand us over to it if he knows that it'll hurt us? Friends, when you continue to read through chapter one into chapter two, why would God hand us over to our lusts? Because it's in his kindness that he would bring us to a place of repentance. Because sometimes the only thing that we'll, the only thing that we'll listen to is pain. When sin, when God hands us over to our lusts and sin entangles our souls and it does the damage that sin always does, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place of desperation. God, in his kindness, handed us over to that. Why? That he could show his grace and his mercy toward us to draw us in repentance to himself. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Guys, that is pretty straightforward, isn't it? They, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Friends, it is so important that we are paying attention to the messages that are coming at us constantly. Notice every notification that comes in, every news clipping, every, everything that's notifying us on our phones. If I could encourage you to do anything, just turn them all off. I used to have them all on because I actually thought it was necessary. I need to know everything at the moment, like the president and then me. I'm, boom, I'm second. God needs me. And I've got, I, know, I need to know everything. But I'm telling you, if you just turn them off, I mean, keep the text messages on. Maybe you can converse with people and the way you're communicating. But if you have every notification on, you ever wonder why you always feel like you have something more to do? That actually taking a break and taking a Sabbath doesn't happen because there's always one more message coming in. Remember when email, you got to it when you could rather than I need to get to it now because if I don't get to it now, then they don't think that I really care. Remember a letter, actually, old people, remember, older? Boom, remember when we write letters? You had to put a stamp on it, and that would take days. And then if you had to hear back in a couple months, you're like, oh, maybe the post person lost it. But we didn't jump to, today, email comes, gotta have it right then. We have all these messages constantly coming at us, constantly coming at us, and we always have to answer them over and over and over and over. And what if we just turn it off long enough to actually spend time with God in his word and to listen, God, I want you to speak to me because everybody else is. What do you think? What do you think about what's going on? because I do not want to exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve creatures rather than the creator. 
I wrote this in my notes. You don't determine what God is like by looking to the culture. We don't look to the culture and go, okay, that's what they're like, so God has changed to fit that. Friends, God is God. And followers of Jesus, I'm telling and I'll keep saying this, because yes, there's another Bible reading plan. You're like, okay, so it's the same one because I felt like it did okay just a couple chapters. No, no, we're doing the whole thing this time. Even the hard parts of the Old Testament. Guys, we're going through all of, all of Leviticus. What? Wow, one person. Good job, Chris. I didn't even plan that. That was just there. We're going through all of Revelation. Guys, we're going to go through every chapter of the Bible. Why? Because I just want us to be busy? No, I actually want us to know what it is that God says because I cannot understand the, the will of God if I don't know his word and I can't understand what he's like if I don't hear him. But as long as I just keep going, okay, I love God and I pray all the time, but I don't really listen to him, then friends, we become guilty of idolatry for to make God in our own image. Is that not idolatry? Guys, let's be honest. Aren't there parts of God we just love? I love this part of God. I love this part of God. And aren't there other parts where he actually confronts us with who he is? And you're like, that one's making me uncomfortable, God. And at no point does God go, okay, never mind. I won't be like that anymore. <laughs> friends, I'm so thankful that God is who he is and he'll confront and he'll deal with stuff. And friends, I'm just begging you, and this is, I mean, this just came, this, this was this morning. About two in the morning, I'm just wake up, boom. Couldn't go back to sleep. It didn't help that at 2.15, the dog starts barking. Because she wanted to, well, I always thought she had to go to the bathroom, but she didn't. She just wanted to go outside and play at two in the morning. So it's worse than having a toddler. So I finally get her back in her crate and we go back, I go back upstairs and I just, I just sat there. And this was the revelation I feel like God gave me because I've told you how often insecurity kind of kicks in and I started thinking, okay, so why is, why is, why is insecurity so strong? You ever notice that your insecurity, those of you who struggle with insecurity, it, it really, it ramps up the more you watch and compare your life with other people, especially when you watch YouTube. Like I'm trying to figure out, okay, how can I be more productive? And then you'll see like 65,000 videos on how to be productive and they're all different. And it's like, oh, and this is a, this is the one that blows my mind. People, okay, I know this has, it has something to do with the message, I promise. People, guys, we should, we should all do this. They, they videotape their morning routine. You can watch what they do to get ready for the day. And I, I, I was sitting there going, why, why am I watching this? Why do I care? You'll hear the people going, I don't get up until 9.30. And you're like, well, that sucks. I get up at 4.30 and the first thing I do is eat glass. Yeah, that's what I want. Like, she, it's like all these people do different things. And he's saying, God, what's mine? And I said, they're going, oh, I'm not like, I'm not going as hard as this guy is, but I'm not lazy like that. So it's like this comparison, but I'm not as good as they are. I'm not as good as they are. And revelation hit me. I feel like it was, it was me and God. It was me and God. And I felt like he revealed, hey, 48 years of life, I might've done a work in your life that actually might be good. I'm like, oh. Not meaning I haven't arrived, I haven't arrived. But maybe, just maybe in 48 years that God has done a work in my life that I don't have to compare my life with somebody else's. 
As long as what I'm saying is, God, I want to love you with everything I got. I want to obey you and do what you want me to do. I don't really care about a person's two-hour routine in their morning. Guys, I don't want somebody else's culture, their perspective to change my perspective of God. I don't, want their, I don't want their life to change what I'm doing unless it is God leading me because I feel convicted that I should. Constant messages, constantly coming in, constantly coming in, constantly coming in, and how much time are we spending with God in the word? How much are we actually opening the book? Not to just get a cute little quote and a little thought, of, hey, there's an encouraging verse. Hey, Brian, I read the Bible every day. I get, an, I get a verse in the email. Guys, every email verse you ever notice is telling you how great you are. You're gonna make it, you're great, God loves you. Never where God's like, hey, a foolish person, it's like, it's like a person who returns, like a dog who returns and eats its own vomit. That's what a fool's like. Oh, I don't like that one. That makes me sick. It's never the verses thou shalt or thou shalt not. We say, well, I'm not gonna be held back by a commandment. And yet Jesus says, I know those who love me by those who obey my commandments. Friends, we cannot allow culture to change our perspective or opinion of who God is. What we need to do, we need to spend time in the book. And maybe for some, maybe, why well, I, I did it a bunch. Or maybe you have a background. Somebody's like, I've seen people take the book and I felt abused by it because they took it and they twisted it to fit an opinion and agenda. And can I encourage you? Get your face back in the book with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus in the book. Friends, can you imagine if I came up here every week and I was like, I didn't prep this week. I haven't even read this thing for like six years. Would you sit there and go, well, teach us. And isn't it weird? We want to instruct other people, but friends... If anyone ever comes to you and says, could you, could you kind of give me some counsel? Like, what should I do? What do you think God wants me to do? And if you're not spending time with God and you just jump in because you prayed about it, friends, are you sure that you're speaking the truth of God or just a personal opinion? So in verse one, he says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faithful of God's elect, that word elect means his chosen. If you're a follower of Jesus, I know we hear that elect, for those who've been around the church for all, it's like, this is where we fight. You're gonna get into election, you're gonna get into predestination, I'm not, I'm just gonna tell you what that word means. It means chosen. You're like one of his favorites. How that all works out, I let him worry about that stuff. But follower of Jesus, the reason that you know Jesus is because he picked you. He chose you, he wants you. And so here's Paul saying, hey, I'm a servant of God and an, and an apostle of Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Guys, the truth, think about it, the truth of God always is connected to the godliness of God. It's always what he says is right and wrong. Notice that Paul's, Paul's whole living as a follower of Jesus He's a servant of God. That just means I have no rights. I do whatever he wants. It's whatever he says. The word apostle means one who's sent. So he's on this mission that God's placed him on. His whole following Jesus, it's not really just about him. It's like I'm these things for the elect. It's for their faith and that they would grow in their knowledge of godliness. 
or, I'm sorry, knowledge of truth. And then verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested it in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. Guys, that word eternal life, that phrase eternal life, here's it. Jesus defined it in John chapter 17, verse three says, and this is eternal life that they might know God, that they might know his son. Guys, it's not just die and then I spend eternity. It's like a length of time with God. It's actually the best part of eternal life is God. Eternal life, I get to know him and it doesn't start when I die. It starts now when you surrender to Jesus to be in intimate relationship with him. But it's a, but it's a, it's a foretaste. It's the beginning of what's actually truly coming. But eternal life, followers of Jesus, do our lives look any different? We say we have eternal life. But do we look any different than anyone else? Or do we look the same? Maybe, hopefully, just a little bit nicer. But friends, in the midst of suffering, do we show the difference that Jesus makes because the Holy Spirit's actually in us? That suffering, we understand, is part of the journey. And that as we suffer, it's an opportunity for us to convey to the world, yeah, Jesus said it's gonna get hard. He said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. God, right now, this is such a hard time. This is the hardest time that my family and I have ever gone through, but what an opportunity to show the world that doesn't know Jesus the difference that Jesus makes during the times of suffering. See, without eternal life, without relationship with God, that makes no sense. But when I sit there and go, I've done, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't believe that God's against me. I'm not in sin. And I've asked God, take this away, and he hasn't. So God, oh, help me say to you be the glory. Help me to consider it pure joy, because I don't right now. And when we don't, we just simply keep asking, Father, would you help me? Would you help me consider this joy like an opportunity Eternal life should make us look different. It should cause people to look at our lives and go, what is it about you? What is it about you? Friends, people can think that we're crazy for what we believe, and that's okay. But there should be something about the way that we live where they cannot deny it. Because it's the reality. This eternal life which God, and then here's the next part, who never lies, Oh, don't you ever feel like God just kind of holding back on you? Didn't tell you the whole truth? Or it, he, here's the promise that it didn't turn out that way? Guys, when we come back to the scriptures, it is impossible for God to lie. He always tells the truth, no matter what. You're like, I want that. Do you? Be careful. I always want God to tell me the truth. Friends, I promise you this. If every time the Holy Spirit convicts you of something and you push against it, then you're not really being honest when you say that, God, I want you to tell me the truth. Friends, if you can't remember the last time the Holy Spirit convicted you of something, then is it really the truth of God that you're listening to? I'm thankful that we have a God that even though it hurts, he will tell us the truth. But here's the second part. What he says he will do, he will do. The promises in scripture 
They're always yes in Jesus. They're always ours, right? And so what God says he will do, he will do. When God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but Brian, it doesn't feel like he's close. But here's the thing, when my feelings don't coincide with the promises of God, I ignore the feelings and I go back to the promises. The promises are foundational. Feelings can be helpful, but they're fleeting. But if I can hold on, God, you're not gonna leave? No, I told you I will never leave. You haven't forgotten me, right? No, no, I've told you I will never forsake you. You're, you promise I will be with you to the very end of the age. Okay. Okay, I can do this. And then to hear him say, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, I can't do this. You're gonna go with me, right? Do you ever have those kind of conversations with God? And you know what that means? We're just his kids. Because isn't that what our kids, hey parents, isn't that what your kids, especially when they're younger do? You promise. You promise you're in the pool, they're getting ready to jump in the first time. You, I'm gonna catch it. You, prom, you promise. You promise. You're, I mean, you're standing. You're not in the deep end. You're like, oh, I can handle it. Do you think you can catch me? I think I can. So on the count of three, just trust me. One, two, and they're like, they got the little, I mean, they got so much stuff on, they're not gonna drown ever. On three, they're like, Beep! four, five, and you just keep counting. And by the time you get to 62, you're like, are you gonna do this? Because you know, parent, don't you feel a little hurt? Because it feels like they don't trust me. But once they jump in and they realize you got them and it's fun, what's the first thing they do? I won't do it again. And that's when you wish you never interrupt, you never wanted that. Because they just don't stop like, oh my gosh, this is like seven, five, this is 75 times. All of a sudden, your biceps are starting to get a little tired. Your back's a little tired. You're like, I don't know if I can do it this time. I, okay, come on. They just keep coming. Why? Because your kids actually trust you. And maybe at some point when, with God and us, maybe sister goes, I need you to trust me. And until you jump, you will not see the life that I promised. But once you jump, you might actually want to jump back in and keep going. And keep going, because I'm never going to leave and I'm never going to forsake. I don't know how to fail. The Jesus who began the good work and you will carry it to completion. Hold on to the promises of God more than anything else. And Paul saw his, mess, or his mission or his ministry as preaching as something that was entrusted to him. He said, well, that's your job. Guys, I'm a pastor who gets to preach. I haven't found the spiritual gift of preaching, though. I found the spiritual gift of teaching, but not preaching. Preaching is to herald, to proclaim something. Like you go out and you just proclaim. You just tell somebody something great. You, sell, you just say great news. I'm convinced that this, Paul's ministry of preaching is not just for him. It's for all of us. We're all called to go and herald the good news, right? Now, some may have the spiritual gift of teaching, and that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to take the scriptures and try to, try to unpack things and to teach these things. But all of us are called to it, but we're entrusted with it. In other words, I don't get to say anything that I want to say. Anything that comes to my mind, that's preaching. No, no, no. I have to preach things that are based upon truth. And truth is found in the scriptures, not based upon personal opinion. What does the Bible say? Friends, I cannot keep the faith if I don't know what the faith is. 
It's not just, not just faith like believe something. I'm saying the faith, the core doctrines of our faith. What God has set up as true and untrue. I can't, I can't proclaim the truth if I'm not in it. I'm not spending time in it. So I just encourage you again as we start off again in a Bible reading plan. Man, plug in. Say, Brian, that's a lot. I know. That's why we're not doing it all in a day. It's not like 90 days. I've seen that Bible reading plan. They're going to read the whole Bible in 90 days. It's like 18 chapters a day. And I'm like, that's it. That's when you know you're godly. You'll devour it. And about day two and a half, you're like, I don't remember where I was at. I just won't do any of it. Guys, Monday to Friday, there's a schedule. Weekends are off to catch up. I'm just saying, just read it. I'm not saying devour. I'm not saying to jump in and have these deep, like look up all the words. I'm just saying, spend time with Jesus in his word. Guys, honestly, three to four chapters a day. Honestly, if you sat down and just read through it, 10, 15 minutes. Turn this off. Set it to the side. Well, I like to read on that. I challenge you to read from a book. Like the pages, because these things don't notify. There's no, no, there's no notification. I can't say, I want to share this. I just shared it with people. There it is. Bing. You feel it? You get it on your phone? Here's a little tip. Bam. I'm telling you, what if you just open the book? Like, I don't like, pa- I don't like paper books. Get over it. Or turn all your notifications off. Put on airplane mode. Stop thinking that you're God and that necessary and actually spend time with the God of the universe and get to know his truth so we can keep the faith, so we can impact a world with the truth that they would know Jesus. As the worship team comes back up, friends, one of the things the scripture teaches us to do, and we do once a month, it's a time to remember Jesus and what he did in, in, in the in the worship of communion. like we, wor- we worship Jesus through remembering communion. And so if you didn't get the elements, you can get them there back by the Connect Center. If you don't want to take communion this morning, you don't have to. All that we ask is if, if you do take communion, that you're a follower of Jesus, and that you're remembering his death. We remember, he says, remember me. He takes the bread and he breaks. He says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Take this in remembrance of me. Guys, I think it's so important for us to do this on a regular basis. Why? It's really hard to stay a jerky Christian when you're constantly reminded of what it is that Jesus endured on our behalf because of us and for us. So remember his sacrifice. But when we take, we take with grateful hearts. But before we do that, we have to ask the, we have to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, there's anything in my life that is sinful that I need to confess to you, agree with you that it's sin and repent from. And friends, this isn't a shaming tactic. I'm convinced we should be repenting daily, hourly. When I realize what I'm, go- what I'm doing or thinking, I go, oh God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to think like that. I repent from that thought and I come back to Jesus. He's not offended by that. Friends, he's actually pleased by that. To agree with God that something is sin and then to repent from it, to come back to, I want to live a godly life, a righteous life. That is pleasing to him. But maybe there's just some things or thoughts that you're like, God, that hasn't been coinciding with you or truth. 
It's wrong. It's sin, and I am so sorry. And thank you for the gift of repentance. Repentance. You just turn. Come back to God. You don't have to come up and confess anything to me. Just tell God, okay, I'm coming back. And maybe on some things you need some accountability, so get some people around you that know you love Jesus more than they love you, and they'll tell you the truth. And let them walk through life with you. But as I pray, you ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? And if he brings anything up, you confess it, you repent from it, and then you take, you take the bread and you take the cup and you remember. And he did all that because he loves you. That's how much Jesus loves us. Does that make sense? So you'll take communion whenever you're ready during this last song. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, I pray that as we pause that you would, you would convict us Show us where we've missed the mark, where we've been in sin, and thank you for the grace that you give to us that we could repent. We agree with you that it's sin and we repent to come back to godliness. And then I pray that you put in us this burden and this passion as we spend time in your word, as we make this commitment to want to hear you, that you would change our thoughts and our motivations, you would change our heart and our passions that we would be completely focused in on you and what it is that you say is truth. During this last song, God, we give it to you because we love you and what an opportunity to worship you. And thanks for letting us be back together. God, in this time, to you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.